Well, I am uh, preaching the same scriptures. Our Awaken Nashville church particip- participants are, are going through and, and preaching, and then you have a devotional. There's a, maybe five, six more packets left uh, that will carry this theme this week. We're called to this week. Awaken to the presence of God. It's not hoping that God will show up. That's sometimes how we incorrectly would categorize awakening to God's presence. Like, I hope God shows up. Will he show up today? It's about being aware that God is already here. So God's present, he's imminent, he's close, he's abiding within us by his choice and by his sovereign will. So our job is not to hope that God comes, Our job is to have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to see and hear the work of the Lord among us. And that's when we call for awakening. Like we're saying, come on, let's wake up to opportunity. Let's wake up to the presence of the Lord. Let's wake up to the idea that there's a better way. This is what our hearts are longing for. And for those of us who are having more dedicated times of prayer and fasting in whatever manner God's leading you. This is the cry of our heart that we would know our God. And that's what today is about. I was involved in youth ministry for a long time. And back in that era, I used to talk to a lot of youth pastors. Then now these years as a senior pastor, we've had several different youth pastors. We got one now. We want to keep a long time. I hope the one we have now stays longer than me. I mean, he's a good one. And, and Josh and Brooke are awesome. But one of the things I've always told youth pastors is this. The group is not really yours. It doesn't feel like yours until you take the first trip. There's something about traveling together that bonds people together. I mean, it's just, it's just a very special opportunity. And, and I'll just say this. Guys, you, the way you sponsor kids for, for camp, thank you. I mean, camp season, we're going to start talking about that next month. But, man, thank you. You just don't know how your generosity has changed lives. I mean, just amazing what happens through our camping program with middle school students, high school students, also with our older elementary students. And it's on those trips that bonds are created relationships happen. In fact, when I look back at our youth ministry and I, talk, I run into kids who were in my youth ministry, they never tell me, man, Aaron, that sermon in 04 just really was a great way to analyze the book of Roman. Now they remember the stories. They remember the, the laughter. They remember going through adversity together. And that's kind of what you do when you travel. When you journey, you, you go through a lot of different emotions. And, and so we're on this spiritual journey together. The man who discipled me, and when I mean discipled, taught me how to read the Bible and pray. He comes here about once a year, uh, Brent Batson. He probably won't make it here in 2020, but um, he had this method where he took some of us junior high, high school students, pre-driver's license students, and would play ball with us, kind of like what happens here at 242 nights for our high school students, and um, take us to games for those of us who were sports-oriented for those who were musically inclined, listen to music, go to concerts together. And so all of this activity happened. And, and of course, there was travel and trips. And then what Brent and his co-leaders would do is when they would take us home after one of our meetings where we played sports and 
had pizza and went through service together, they, they would sometimes take us home all over the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex area. And if you were the last person in the car, that was not done in, just for the sake of the route. If you were the last person in the car, you knew that you were about to get grilled. I mean, Brent and his team were about to ask you, where are you with the Lord? What's going on in your life? Have you been reading your Bible? I heard about this. And so if you're the last person in the car, man, you're, 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 you know that you're about to be uh, challenged. But it was always kind of a privilege to be that last person with that team because um, you felt loved. And you felt like your soul was being cared for. So here's something that Josh McDowell said years ago. Rules without relationships equals rebellion. And that's a great parenting tip, a great leadership tip. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. So here it is that Jesus models something. He models something. It's a way that we should live, which is build the relationship before you send people on mission. This, this is his heart. Here's the points if you're taking notes today. Closeness to Jesus. In your Awake Nashville, they use the word intimacy, but the word closeness is equally effective. Precedes mission. Closeness to Jesus precedes mission with Jesus. And here's the point. He prepares us, and he prepares us relationally. This idea of mission, you're like, what does mission mean? It's this idea that God has a plan for you. You're not just someone filling a seat today. You're not just someone who is just giving some volunteer hours at the church. You're not just someone who's making a contribution financially. You're not just someone here to be entertained. You are someone with a mission on your life. You're a sent one. You're, God has this plan for you, and part of the discipleship process is getting to know him, because as you get to know him, then he he will send you and use you in ways you couldn't imagine. But God, Jesus is, is really relational in this, is that he wants a friendship before he wants an employee. He said that himself. He said, I call you friend. You're not just a servant. You're a friend. God wants your friendship. And then out of that friendship springs mission. You know, sometimes, too, I, I, when, when we ask you to do stuff here, and we need to ask you to do stuff, and you need to do stuff, all that to, for us to be that functioning family God wants us to be. But I, I want you not to feel that as accomplishing task. I want you to see that as living out the mission God has for you, because you're never as happy as when you're aligned with God's will for your life. You're never as fulfilled as when Jesus has called you and inspired you, and, and you need to look at this as partnering with a friend, not doing something for the church. Not, not just accomplishing a job, but partnering with God for his purposes and what he wants to accomplish. Look at verse 51 of the scripture we read today. This is kind of where this idea of journey, this idea of friendship, this idea of travel. Verse 51, when the days were coming for a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey 
to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him. On the way, they entered a village the Samaritan, of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Jesus just, before he went, before he ascended, before he, the accumulation, the pinnacle of his ministry came, he, he went on a journey with his friends, and he didn't travel alone. One of the things I say to you often as I'm encouraging you to learn names, I say this, know each other's names. When we know each other's names, then we will know each other's stories and then we'll know each other's hearts. If I'm like, hey, did you see that guy that sat in the third row with the yellow plaid shirt? No, who are you talking about? Oh, but when I know it's Jeremy Belcher. Well, 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 who's Jeremy Belcher? Well, he's married to Kelly, and, and Jeremy's a culinary cook, and he used to play football for Wilson Central High School back in the early 2000s. Are you that young? Okay, I got it. See, I know him. I know him. Know someone's name. And, and until you really bother to know someone's name, you won't know their story. And until you know their story... You won't know someone's heart. I'm gonna step on someone's toes here. You, you know what a lot of people say? I'm no good at names. You know what I say to that? Get better. <laughs> Don't just say, well, for the next 30 years of my life, I'm just no good at names. I'm not that good at them either. Everyone thinks I am. You know why? I write them down and I work on them. So, I, you know. Some people may have better short-term memory than others. Hey, I'm not that, my short-term memory is not that great. So I understand that we have different degrees, a capacity to understand something. But I'm just saying don't live in the land of excuses. Don't live in the land of just like give up. We know each other's names because then we know each other's stories. And then when we know each other's stories, we know each other's hearts. Well, I want to invite you to that same approach to Jesus. You're among those chosen and blessed to know his name. And you know the name of Jesus. And, and knowing the name of Jesus, you, you now know his story and the gospels and Paul and John and Peter's explanations of the gospels and the, the writers of the Old Testament who were leading to the pinnacle of the gospels. Like they prepared us to know his name and then the New Testament writers are helping to explain his name and then we have firsthand accounts about his name. We're, we're getting to know his stories and we're embodying his stories. They're becoming part of our psyche. They're part of our heart, part of our expression. And, and it's more than just knowing about like a historical figure. The essence of who he is is transforming our hearts. And, and we know the heart of the Lord. And I just know that there's a lot of behavior in me that you may, you may think it's acceptable, but it just doesn't feel like Jesus sometimes. Have you ever just felt something that everyone said, it just didn't feel like Jesus? And there's a lot of behavior among Christians that we accept just doesn't feel like Jesus. And let the Holy Spirit make that known to you. Because when we know his name and we know his story, we know his heart, and that's the invitation here for us to... Um, as Dallas Willard said, be apprentices of Jesus, like he's teaching us. There's a book that 
Dallas Willard wrote in 1999 that I never really got to until last year. And guys, that was the hardest book for me that I've read. It was so dense. It took me forever to read. Um, but it was so impactful that he'll probably weave in, some quotes of his will probably weave in to my preaching this year. And he calls us, Jesus calls us to be disciples, which better defined as maybe an apprentice, a friend, because he has a plan for us. That's why friendship with Jesus is important. Friendship with Jesus is important is because Jesus has a big plan for you. And the plan is this, he's preparing you to rule with him. And Jesus, who is supreme and he reigns the whole universe and there'll be no one compared to him, is going to choose for us to rule and reign with him. And so uh, Willard said this, and this impacted me. He said this, the risen son of man. I don't know, do we have that slide in there? I knew that was on the fence, whether we would have it or not. Is there a quote in there? Okay. The, in, the, the risen son of man is preparing us to join him. We will see him in stunning surroundings that he had with the father before the beginning of the created cosmos. Now listen to this part. And we will actively participate in the future governance of the universe. And this, is, this pushes back against our misconceptions about heaven. Listen to this part. We will not sit around looking at each other or at God for eternity, but we will join the eternal God in the endless, ongoing, creative work of God. Isn't that beautiful? That God who has made us creators and workers will join him, not equal to him, under his lordship, under his reign, but as friends with him, as partners with him, we will see that creative God who continues to create, who continues to pour out, and we will be active partners with him. That's why friendship with God makes a difference. Okay, I, I do not want task, you know, people who just do the task of Bible reading, even though it's a good habit, or do the tax, task of prayer, which is a good habit. I want friends of God. That's who we can be, friends of God, to know that God's going to watch the Super Bowl with you tonight. He may look away at some of the commercials, but he'll still watch all the violence that takes place on the football field <laughs> as we're entertained by modern-day gladiators who pound their heads together with equipment that's causing concussions. Okay, maybe God won't watch the Super Bowl tonight. A few of you have asked, you know, I'm, I'm a big football fan. I think you know that. But a few of you have asked, like, hey, you watching the Super Bowl tonight? They're like, no, it's not for me. I'm like, good choice, good choice. Be at peace, brother or sister. George Washington, you know, influenced our country. I mean, he helped birth our country. The consensus choice to be our first president, and then he modeled limited power because we didn't need a king, we needed a fellow citizen. A fellow citizen who would limit his power and limit his influence because we are the people of the United States of America. One of the things we forget about George Washington's great leadership is what made him a great leader 
in the eyes of our American, the American citizens was his brilliance as a military leader that first started in the French and Indian War and then on into the Revolutionary War against all odds that he commanded the army. And this picture you see here was, it was a painting in the 1850s, a crossing of the Delaware, but it depicts what we imagine in a leader. A leader who's not giving out orders from the shore, but a leader who's in the boat crossing the Delaware. Because I'll suggest to you what in the American psyche made George Washington uh, such a powerful leader was all of these men who were in the military that fought with him, that were he was at Valley Forge with them. He was crossing the Delaware with them. He, he was at all of the places in modern-day Canada now fighting in the, that first French and Indian War. And the fact that he was in the battle, he was in the fight, spoke to his incredible leadership. He was active. He was with the troops. He was experiencing with them. Here's my second point today. Closeness to Jesus sustains us during our mission. He stays with us. Jesus doesn't just say, go, and I hope the outcome's good. Jesus doesn't just give us an assignment and say, well, I hope you pass, because if you don't get it done, I'll pick someone else. Jesus says, go, and he goes with us. Jesus sends us out to where he wants us to go and he participates with us because we're always submitted to him. And he, he has a really challenging, some challenging statements to people who kind of wanted to follow Jesus because that's been me for a lot of my life and I think as a lot of us, we kind of want to follow Jesus. Sometimes following Jesus is exciting. Sometimes there's miracles. Sometimes there's popularity. Sometimes there are crowds. Sometimes there's amazing things to see, but then sometimes like there's persecution and Jesus is, is attacked and attempted assassinations upon him. And sometimes you're out in the wilderness and there's not shelter for you to, to stay. And so well, you kind of want to follow Jesus. That's what we have to overcome. We, we want to be all in with Jesus. So here in this passage, Luke chapter 9, verse 58, Jesus told, told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man, that's another name for Jesus, has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. This is this idea that when we are sent people, people on mission, that Jesus isn't giving us instructions and telling us to go somewhere as much as he is going there before us and with us. And so it goes back to friendship again. Answering the call to God has an element of obedience, but it also has that sense of friendship that we want to go where Jesus is going. We, we, we want to follow his design. We want to follow his heart. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. Well, Jesus is relational. What this probably meant is let me wait for my father to pass away. Maybe 10 years, maybe 15 years, maybe 20 years. That's maybe what we can imagine. Like, let me just, let me take care of my family first. 
you know, it's inconvenient right now, Jesus. That, that's how I interpret that. Verse 60, but he told them, let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, let the spiritually dead bury the spiritually dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. This was a specific call that applied specifically in this situation. But we can transfer the principles to ourselves now. 61, another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are hard words. These are words that we need to meditate on contextually. You know, so don't, don't just pull those out and beat someone over the head with that. That's a lot of times what we do. But we see this, this idea of participation with Jesus. So Jesus is like, I'm on the move. I'm going somewhere, and now is your time. This is what God's saying. When, when Jesus is saying, I'm going to a certain place, and now is your time, and we say, delay, delay, delay. And Jesus says, no, I'm worth it. It's now, and I'm going to be with you. Because when he sends us on mission, he stays with us. Last year, I was really amazed at... Uh, I may have even used this as a sermon illustration before. I was amazed at this idea of sending a man to the moon and returning them back and all that happened in the 1960s. So th- this is an old, old picture, and I think you can get the idea of, of for those of you who don't have a scientific mind like me, I'm a little slow to the game. I finally understood this, is that a rocket launched around the Earth, which is on your left, and gravity, because the rocket was at the right angle... Uh, the, the, at this point, it wasn't a rocket, but the capsule revolved around the wor- world. Gravity, the same gravity that pulls you, us to the earth at the right angle, caused an orbit and caused, uh, caused this lunar capsule or whatever they called it back then, space shuttles, what I called it in the 80s, but whatever they called it back in 68, 69, to go with high, high speeds around the earth. And then at the right time, the angle changed And there you see the bottom of the big ball called Earth. A new trajectory sent it to the moon. And once again, moon gravity picked up what I call the space shuttle. And a new revolution happened. So you can kind of, maybe you can kind of imagine this. Here's my point. Is gravity the same force that that pulls an object down that holds our bodies in the seats right now? also was the same force that catapulted and sent the space shuttle to the moon and then picked it back up in moon orbit. And once again, the same force that, that would cause it to fall in the right angle projected it forward. Now think about this. Closeness to Jesus not only draws us in, here's my third point, but sends us out. Closeness to Jesus not only draws us in, but sends us out. Maybe an easier illustration, there's, there's a breakdown, and certainly there is in this one too. But if you think about a slingshot pulled towards the one holding the slingshot so they could be sent out. Pulled and sent out. Pulled and sent out. And that's kind of how we are with Jesus. He attracts us. With his teaching. He attracts us by being the perfect human being. He attracts us by being someone we can trust, someone who won't let us down, someone who, as God, his motives are pure and holy. 
and it draws us. But as he draws us to him, he sends us back out. This is the idea of mission. The idea of mission is going to the heart of God, and then the heart of God sends us out again. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, as we continue this passage, says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Jesus drew the disciples in their original calling. But then, not only for the 12, but the 72, he sent them out also, and so he'll do so with us. He draws us to his heart. He draws us to the church. He draws us to his teaching. He draws us to the scripture. And, you know, we have these continually, have these discipleship opportunities, which are good and helpful and beneficial, but they're not only for us. That's why our church exists, to know his love, but to share his love too. And you guys are doing this. And I just want to say thank you for being a church that shares his love. Thank you for being a church that not only comes to the heart of Jesus, but you're sent from the heart of Jesus. Thank you that the same Jesus that's drawing us is the same Jesus that's sending us. And I just want to encourage some of you with this. Some of you believe that you came to Gallatin, you came to Hendersonville, you came to the North Nashville region for a job. I mean, that's why most of you came, for a job or maybe to pursue music or maybe to be closer to your grandkids or be closer to your adult parents. And so, like, why did you come to, Na- to Nashville? Why did you come to Gallatin? Why did you come to Goodlettsville, to Hendersonville, to Westmoreland, wherever it is, to White House? And, and that's a natural way to respond. Well, I came here to work for Dollar General or I came here because, you know, I wanted to, to, to work on my music career. So I, I get that. I get that. But I, I want... I want you as sent people, as missional people, to reorientate your thinking. Because I believe this, you were not assigned a job by God, so you just found a church. No, you were sent by God to a church, and you work at the place that your church is at. I mean, let's turn kingdom thinking around. Let's turn the church family around. I get excited when I think about, and I read this week about, all the growth coming to the Nashville re- region by, by the year 2045 was how they categorized this. And I thought, man, God's bringing all of, all of these people here to either work in the kingdom or who need to discover the kingdom. I mean, he's up to bigger things than just us getting through the 80 to 110 years we have on this life. That's, I mean, that's how short-sighted we are. Like we're, we're looking at our own, own trajectory, the next 20 years, the next 30 years, the next 40 years. And sometimes we can't see beyond ourselves. And I think, I'm thankful that you guys are successful people and you're educated people and you're skillful people and you're people that, that our, our jobs want. They want you here, and, and there's homes being built for you, and there's schools being provided for you, and there's, there's restaurants that are opening so you can go eat after church and not have to cook today. And all of these things are for you like because you're a talented, desired demographic. But can I just tell you that, that in the kingdom, it's about you, but it's not about you. It's about your calling. It's about being sent. It's about your purpose. I mean, you're alive in 2020. You made it to 2020. Can you believe that? Praise God for that. We made it here for a reason. We made it here because divine wisdom has sent us here. We made it here to 2020 because the days ahead of us are great days for kingdom work. 
work. I mean, things that God wants to accomplish, his heart for the world, his mission for the world. And I, if I was God, I wouldn't have chosen Aaron and I wouldn't have chosen you, but thank goodness I'm not God. He chose us to do his work and to do his kingdom. And it all starts with friendship with God. It all starts with closeness with God. And so that's who we are. And that's why we're here today.